0: Each Sunday we like to celebrate something that the Lord is doing and happening and what's going on. And today, we as a church are going to celebrate together communion. So I'm excited that we get to do that together. I encourage you to have your heart thinking and preparing as we go through this passage and passages this morning for that as we celebrate Jesus in all things. As Pastor Eric mentioned, we are now going into a new part of our series, Christ in the Old Testament, looking in the book of Psalms. And uh, we're gonna, that's going to lead us all the way up to Easter. So we're going to take from now until Easter, looking in the book of Psalms, and we're excited about that. But before we get into our message day, I want to answer a, f- a few preliminary questions that we may have as we get into this series that we're in now one is why are we doing this why are we going through this and what's the big deal about Easter we we seem to spend a lot of time for Christmas which makes sense but Easter what's what's the big deal about Easter Easter celebrates the resurrection of Jesus Christ the Son of God from the dead that is the big deal And Easter is that victorious moment within the planned out story that God has beginning from creation to the fall to the working through his people as we've been working through the Old Testament the promise the hope and then this awesome aspect of redemption and then this future restoration in this whole story in God's great story and plan of redemption Easter is that apex that pinnacle part of it that victorious moment mankind turned against God and God so rightly in His holiness brings wrath upon mankind, and we deserve punishment and death. But God, Amen. One of these days I'm just going to do like a three month series called "But God" and I'll look at every aspect in Scripture when that's mentioned. Will you have T-shirts walk around and people think we're crazy? But God, when we deserve the wrath of God, but God in His great love and compassion, already had a rescue plan. Already in Genesis, had that rescue plan to save mankind. Set in motion when time began. Set in the stories that we've been going through. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. In the history and the people of Israel as we have seen. And this planned out story comes to a climax in the cross events. The cross event is the betrayal, the suffering, the crucifixion and death of Jesus Christ. But the cross event also includes the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So this cross event, the betrayal all the way to the resurrection, speaks of Jesus. He is that perfect sacrifice. He is that fulfillment that the Old Testament is pointing to and wrote about. he broke the power of sin and death amen and that's why we celebrate easter easter invites us to worship christ because he is worthy to be praised the cross event invites us to believe and make jesus christ savior and lord of our lives and those who believe and are forgiven will someday be raised like Christ from the dead, and have eternal life to be in the presence of God. That's why Easter's the big thing. So what is the big deal about Easter? The core of the Christian faith is that Jesus Christ actually rose from the dead. So listen to 1 Corinthians 15. Here they're talking about the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 13, and 14. For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless and your faith useless. See, the resurrection changes everything. Everything about our lives because the resurrection is life. Since Jesus was raised from the dead, He is we claim to be then he must be Savior and Lord of our lives that's why Easter is the most important aspect of all of our preaching and teaching this is why we celebrate Christ because of the cross event he is worthy to be praised so what does this answer what does this answer our core belief in many ways answers the crisis of this world and the chaos of our life. The resurrection is what the answer is for the crisis of the world. It's Jesus Christ. And the chaos of our life, Jesus enters into that. Because there is sin, because there is suffering, pain, loss, and death, we wonder if there's any hope. Who's in control? There's a need for all of us within our stories, within our lives, for redemption and salvation. And the cross event, primarily the resurrection, is the answer we all need. In fact, if you've been a part of what we've been doing the last three Sundays, I encourage you. uh, If you missed last Sunday, last Sunday was kind of that most important part of our three part series. Please 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 go online at least look listen to the sermon. But this is kind of part 4 of the series. As we will see today the resurrection is the greatest example of God's sovereignty showing he is in total control. He's got this. If you ever doubt or wonder if God's in control, if he's got this, look at the resurrection the greatest example that God is sovereign. So why are we going through this? What does this answer? My last question here is, where are we going with all of this? So now we're going to move to the book of Psalms. We're going to do this. I'm excited about this. And there are Many chapters, and how many of you have ever read through some of the Psalms or read some of them? Psalm 23, I mean, we all know the Psalms. And the Psalms are known for inspiration. They're known for when someone's sad, you can turn to the Psalms. There's, there's hope and there's, there's aspects of worship. And there's ways to just walk with God. Hymns of praise. Beautiful stuff within the Psalms. Yet many don't realize that in the Psalms... There are prophecies and anticipations of the Messiah. Many of the Psalms speak of Christ. We kind of turn to the Psalms for that inspiration stuff, but we don't realize that in Psalms, many anticipate this Messiah. As I've been going through the Psalms and for many years looking at the Psalms, looking at Christ in the Psalms, there's about a dozen main Messianic chapters within the 150 that we have in our Psalms. About a dozen of them are messianic. And and I've seen through this that that Christ is portrayed in two different ways in these messianic chapters. First of all, some of them speak of the glory and royalty of Christ. Some of these are these royal psalms that speak of Christ. Think of a golden crown. And what I'm going to do is, we're going to... Look for three sermons at the royal passages. But others speak not just of the royalty, but of the suffering and agony of the Messiah. In fact, if you look at your bulletin, the crown there, there's two types of crown there's that gold royalty, but also many of the Psalms speak of the suffering of the Messiah. So my first three sermons will speak of the royal passages and then the last three sermons leading up to Palm Sunday, Good Friday and Easter will be the suffering passages. Today we're going to look at Psalm chapter 2. So take your Bibles and turn to Psalm chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in front of you. I encourage you to bring a Bible, bring some paper and bring a pencil for notes as we go through this series, Christ in the Old Testament. before we get right into psalm chapter 2 i want to make a statement here about the interpretation process and understanding of how this can be done instead of just reading the psalms that face value there's an interpretive process and concept that's very important as i said some of these psalms are prophetic and speak of the messiah many that we're going to go to look at are written by David or others and they speak of, and David's writing about his current situation and the audience that just re, re, read that in the Old Testament they understand this is David this is his situation and the audience saw that we know that the authors of scripture of holy scripture were under the inspiration of the holy spirit and sometimes they would write and speak of concepts beyond what they understood beyond their knowledge beyond that person's understanding so David would write about something but the spirits working through him and often he would write beyond what he understood at that moment and there are times that what David was writing about in his life was a foreshadow of the royalty And suffering of Christ so even though we'll see this in Psalm chapter 2 he wrote about his situation through the work of the Holy Spirit we will see through the lens of the New Testament he was not just writing about himself at a human level there was also this divine aspect level that he was writing about so with that understanding we are first going to read Psalm chapter 2 as the first readers of the Old Testament understood that situation as reference to the Davidic king and used for the enthronement and coronation of other kings this passage was possibly used whenever a king would come they would read this out loud and a new king would be instituted but then we will read psalm chapter 2 again as the New Testament authors understood psalm chapter 2 in light of the cross event. For this chapter is not limited to just an earthly king, but it's speaking far beyond what any earthly king could ever do. And it speaks of Jesus. In fact, for myself here, I've got this passage written out in two different ways so I can read them that way. And we'll see this on the screen here. So let's go to Psalm chapter two. Psalm chapter two has kind of four sections, and we're going to read those four sections. And the first part here is kind of what I wrote on, "The chaos of the nations and the world." the first couple verses here. So we've got these on the screen here, and then what I've done is I've got blue on the side there, so you can kind of see this aspect of how they understood the situation so. Blue is some of the words I've got there, so you can see this is David's current situation or how the readers of his time understood how this was being mapped out and played out in their lives, and it made sense to them. And then when we read this again, you'll see I've got red letter edition, and I've altered, I've made some editorial changes, even in this translation here, which is fine. I'm, I translate a lot of this, and so I've got some changes. You'll see how it's written, and maybe even compare that in your Bibles. Some things are in. Uppercase and some things are in lowercase, depending on what the editors are doing in scripture here. So here we go. Why are the nations so angry? Why do they waste their time with feudal plans? The kings of the earth prepare for battle, the rulers plot together against the Lord, against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they cry out, and free ourselves from slavery to God. Now, the first readers at this time in the Old Testament, when they would read this, they totally understood what this was about. Because the nations that surrounded Israel seemed to always be against Israel. And David. And whoever ruled in Jerusalem, it seemed like the nations were always against them. And the psalmist is speaking about this worldwide conspiracy against God and who God has placed as the leader. Against God and God's king. The anointed one. And you see here, I got in blue, it's lowercase. Because God would place that king. And David did face a lot of turmoil. And suffering during his rule. But notice in this writing that David wasn't worried. The king wouldn't have to worry at all. In fact, it's almost like surprise. Listen, Why do they bother and plot in vain? Why do you go against God? If you go against God, you're a cuckoo. Basically, that would be maybe my translation. Why do they do this? Are they crazy? Are they foolish? When you go against God, you will get nowhere, right? Little side note. Why today do rulers think they can plot against God and his godly principles? Seriously. Are they cuckoo? Why do they do this? Why in America do we seem to be moving away from morality? Moving away from godly principles? There's no restraints put on sin sometimes, it seems. Are people cuckoo? Are they crazy? If you go against God, you will get nowhere. Back to our passage. They reject God's anointed one. Again, lowercase. In fact, let's turn to the next slide here. It's interesting, in the Hebrew... Is there another slide? I think I have one. Yes. In the Hebrew, this... Phrase right here, this anointed one is this word Messiah. So, whenever you see the word anointed one in our Old Testament, the Hebrew there is Messiah. And Messiah is this term for being anointed, being oil put on. They're the one that's chosen, they're the one that will have um, special rights, they're anointed. And sometimes in the Old Testament, it's used for this messianic Jesus aspect. God's chosen one, or sometimes it's just plainly used for God's chosen king, who is a person, who doesn't have divine qualities. In fact, we see this in Isaiah. Thus saith the Lord, to His anointed, to His Messiah. And it's interesting that in the New Testament, they translate the word Messiah as Christ. So the term Christ is the word for a Messiah in the Greek language. So back to our sli- the, the passage we're going here. They reject God's anointing, what God's Messiah. And anointing was this ritual aspect where they would anoint the king to be the chosen one, to be set apart from the rest of the people, and the nations and leaders rebel and reject God's proclaimed ruler. And we've seen this a little bit, and we'll see this more as we get into the prophets, but we've seen this, that there's been this exile because the Assyrians, the Babylonians, have rejected what God's rule should be. And then the enemies speak of God. And they speak with this in-your-face attitude. Have you ever met someone with this in-your-face attitude? They've got this in-your-face attitude. We don't want our allegiance to this king, to this God. So let's break away from him. And again, the writer saying, "Are you crazy? Why do they do this?" Let's go to the next section, verses four through six. But the one who rules in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then, in his anger, he rebukes them, terrifying them. With this fierce fierce fury. For the Lord declares, I have placed My chosen King on the throne in Jerusalem, on Zion, on My holy mountain. Here, God, who is ruler of all, speaks to them. God's response to the rebellious is this scornful laugh. Who are you? You go against Me? You're cuckoo he who rules over the earth and over all people kinda says this either you submit to me or you will be destroyed either you submit to me or you will be destroyed he is the one who has declared who the king shall be my chosen king he's the one who chooses it. he's the one who decrees And why go against him? Because his dynasty, his rule, his plan, what is foretold will happen. No matter what. And this will happen. And it's seated. And Zion is this royal seat of the anointed one. Whenever you hear of Zion, it's, it's mainly not speaking of a particular place, but it's constant of where Zion is. That's where God's rule and reign comes from. And in this section, you could summarize this by saying, guess what? God's in control. He's got this, right? God's in control. He's got this. The next section, let's read. The king proclaims the Lord's decree. And here now, this king, this earthly king is speaking, and he's sharing his thoughts. The king proclaims the Lord's decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Only ask and I will give you the nations as your inheritance, the whole earth as your possession. You will break them with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. Here now the king reveals the Lord's decree. And he says two aspects. Number one, he affirms that God has chosen him, and now he has this special relationship with God, who is his father. I'm his son, he's my father. And you notice this here it's in blue. This Davidic king, as the son, responds to the father's will. And secondly, we see this here that God's covenant of his people extends. And it will extend to all the earth, just as was said to Abraham. It's going to continue no matter what. Now let's read the next part. Verse 10 and following. Now the psalmist is speaking to all people here. Now then, you kings, act wisely. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverent fear and rejoice with trembling. Submit to God's royal Son or He will become angry and you will be destroyed in the midst of all your activities For for His anger flares up in an instant. But what joy for all who take refuge in Him. Here there is a calling to all the kings, all the rulers of the earth. Evaluate your situation. Are you living under the lordship and the principles of God? If so, great. If not, you'll be in trouble. Submission and worship. Worship and obedience. Man, that lines up with what we're talking about. In our whole series here that must be a part and there's joy in submitting to God's will and his way and his plan God is sovereign over all the rulers and the placement of the king over all the nations submit to God's authority so that's how the first readers understood Psalm chapter 2 at a human level there was an anointed king God's chosen one who would take the place of leadership and then we should submit to that. That's what they were thinking. And this possibly was David. And a lot of uh, the commentators think, okay, this is probably talking about David's son, Solomon. But now let's read this with the New Testament lens. How did the readers of the New Testament understand this? At a divine level. And they did, talking about the Anointed One, Jesus. Now we're going to move to the red letter edition, if you could, with this. So let's, I'm going to switch my page here to my red letter edition. Chaos over the nations and the world. Here we go, let's begin again with verse 1. Why are the nations so angry? Why do they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepare for battle. The rulers plot against Plot together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they cry, and free ourselves from slavery to God. If you could take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 4. Take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 4. In fact, from now on, as you can just you don't have to turn to Psalm 2, we'll just stick in Acts here as I read through this, through the red letter edition. Acts chapter 4 starting with verse 23 On the release Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them here it is Acts chapter 4 24 I love this part again this is kind of like part 4 of our series of Esther and Job when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. So all that has happened, the whole cross of it has happened. There's been a lot of chaos going on. Listen to the first words they say in prayer. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord. Look at me. God's in control. He's totally got that. And that's reflective even in their prayer. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? This is from Psalm 2. The kings of the earth take their stand against the rulers together, against the Lord, against His Anointed one. Notice in your Bibles its capitals there. Let's keep reading. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and all and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen we'll get this in a couple weeks from now even in the worst thing that ever happened on the planet God was sovereign he was totally in control here's this big conspiracy Herod Pilate The Romans, the Jews, all plotted together against the Anointed One. In fact, in some of your Bibles, Psalm chapter 2, the editors have made this capitals, which is fine. They rebelled. And this resulted in the crucifixion of Jesus, which was a fulfillment of Psalm chapter 2. Matthew 26, 3 through 4, the religious leaders plotted to capture Jesus. They plotted and planned it out. Psalm chapter 2. Matthew 27, they yelled out, Crucify him! The anointed one is God's chosen ultimate king, the Messiah, capital M, Jesus the Christ. That is why Christ is. Worthy to be praised. Stay in Acts because we're going to stay in here for a bit, but let's listen to Psalm chapter 2, 4 through 6. But the one who rules in heaven laughs, the Lord scoffs at them. Then in anger he rebukes them, terrifying them with his fierce fury. For the Lord declares, I have placed my chosen king on the throne in Jerusalem, on Zion, My holy mountain. Oh, He is the chosen King. He is the One who destroyed the enemy. The plans of the enemy. He has defeated and conquered demons. He is this One who rebukes the wind and chaos for the Lord... Chose his son to be Savior and King over all. He's on the throne, people. This is why Christ is worthy to be praised. Let's go to the next part, verses 7 through 9. Here again, here's where the king spoke. The king proclaims the Lord's decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Only ask and I will give you the inheritance or the nations as your inheritance, the whole earth as your possession. You will break them with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. Here the king proclaims the Lord's decree. Jesus is the king listen to revelation 19 verse 16 on his robe and on his thigh he has the name written king of kings and lord of lords again psalm chapter 2 the king it's capitalized there this is a prophecy saying guess what this messiah this anointed one is going to be the royal ultimate reigning King King of Kings the next part foreshadowed what happened when Jesus was baptized Matthew chapter 3 verse 17 says this and a voice from heaven said this is my son whom I love with him I am well pleased Jesus was proclaimed to be the son of God by the Father, and was seated at the right hand of God, holding the place of this rulership that a king rightly should have and have an authority. And what a surprise to the Jewish people. They thought a Messiah would come as this great, divine, kind of glowing, royal figure with a sword. He came as a baby, and it's both human and divine together. The Messiah would be the Son of God. And God answers to the nations with the placement of his son the king the Messiah that the father has given and the father gives him all nations all authority all power and this is also the source of in John if you read through John you'll see him use this terminology the only begotten son this is where the John gets this from and this is why Christ is worthy worthy to be praised now the next section here now then you kings act wisely be warned you rulers of the earth serve the Lord with reverent fear and rejoice with trembling notice how the word joy and rejoice is kind of right in between reverent fear and trembling verse 12 submit to God's royal Son. Notice how in our red letter edition it's all capitals there. For He will become angry and you'll be destroyed in the midst of all your activities for His fierce anger flares up in an instant. But what joy for all who will take refuge in Him. Jesus is the royal Son of God. Let me, let me just read There's so many passages we could look at. Let me just read the first part of Mark here. Mark chapter 1. The beginning of the Gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And after that, Mark quotes a bunch of Old Testament passages. He is this royal son. He is not just a prophet. He's not just a good man. He's not just in line with all the other great religious leaders that came along. He truly is the Son of God is the eternal king. Revelation chapter 3. He was king at his birth. Matthew chapter 2. And we must submit. This is important. We must submit to this royal king. And there's joy in submitting. Notice how joy is in the midst of this aspect here there is joy in submitting to jesus christ our lord this is why christ is worthy to be praised but there's something important here we just read through this you know human level the blue letter now we read through the red letter edition take your bibles and go to acts chapter 13. Psalm chapter 2 is one of the most quoted psalms of all of the Old Testament passages in psalms here. There's many that are quoted. But Psalm chapter 2 is the most quote, one of the most quoted ones. In conclusion, Jesus Christ is everything that Psalm chapter 2 envisions about the Messiah, capital M, not lowercase. And his, here it is, and his resurrection is the greatest confirmation of the fulfillment that the Father was powerfully declaring Jesus Christ is truly his eternal Son and reigning King. The resurrection is this great example, this great aspect showing that Jesus Christ is what Psalm chapter 2 was all about. Acts chapter 13. I'm going to read from, let's go verse 30 and following. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days, he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news. We tell you the Gospel. We tell you, here it is. Here's the message. What God promised our Father. He has fulfilled for us their children by raising up Jesus. As is written in the second psalm, you are my son. Today I have become your father. The fact that God raised him from the dead, never to decay, was also stated. And we'll go on and we'll look at those passages in weeks to come. Here it is the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the greatest understanding and display of God's sovereignty and the greatest evidence for the deity of Jesus Christ I encourage you write that down because you might in your jobs you might in your neighborhood meet people that go why is Easter such a big thing why is Jesus a big thing well I really don't believe in Jesus he was just a man oh he was just a prophet he's one of just the many religious leaders all around oh listen when it comes to talking face-to-face with someone, this is so important. Let me read it again. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the greatest understanding and display of God's sovereignty. Listen. Remember the last couple of weeks? God's in control. He's got this. Cute story about Esther. Then we kind of got a little deeper in Job. Okay, he's grand. We're small than last week. Kind of shattering, literally. God's in control. He's totally got this. And if you don't believe it in your life, that's okay because you may not. But when you look at the resurrection, it's the greatest example that He is in total control. He's got this, and it's the greatest evidence for the deity of Jesus Christ. That's important to know. You can talk all day about to someone about Jesus, and and I, I've done this where you start talking, engaging with them, and they've got a lot of questions, and they they're curious about this and this. What I love to do is I like to bring it right to the cross event. I can get on tangents about different aspects of this and this. And, you, know, you know, I understand that, but I always try to bring them right to the cross event. Because that is where it's at. And that's what we celebrate, Right? The death and the cross are overcome by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus, as it is written. Jesus rose from the dead. Those who believe in the resurrection are able then, and this passage talks about, then you'll find forgiveness. He still is alive today, amen? Amen. And you'll see this coming up. I'm going to have a picture of two different aspects of how people portray crosses in their church. I was recently at a funeral where they had a large cross there with Jesus still on it. A crucifix. Dude, He's off. I don't mind talking about the suffering. We're going to talk about the suffering of Christ. But there's the glory and the beauty. He's alive today. And He offers forgiveness for all who come to him because of his death and resurrection and you can have freedom today turn to Christ he is worthy to be praised because he's that anointed one the Messiah he is the son capital S he's the king royal and worthy to be praised let's pray Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you that I'm so glad I'm on this side of the New Testament. I, I, I can't imagine how sometimes some of the Old Testament is written, they, they would wait and anticipate and wonder, hey, is this about the Messiah? And many of them did. They, they, they put their promise, or they, they, they put their hope in the promise of this coming seed, this coming Messiah, this coming anointed one. Oh, but I'm so glad that we now make these connections. Where Psalm chapter 2, oh, it's great to read in the blue letter edition, but it is so wonderful to read in the red letter edition. Forgive us for being like the nations who mock and make fun of your plan. We would be cuckoo to do that. May we submit in reverence. And there's true joy in that. May we not just go, yep, Easter's important. Yep, I believe in him. May we make him not just Savior, but Lord over all that we do. And that's what we celebrate. And I thank you that the resurrection is the greatest example of your sovereignty. You've got this, you're in control, and it's the greatest evidence that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And that's what we celebrate today. As we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.